The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. I thought tonight we'd uh, wait to the end in case people would like to send out our good wishes to other people. Um, so we'll do that at the end. <clears throat> but let's take some time now and just check in together. I often say at this time, some of you have heard me that, you know, we're all living our lives in relationship with all the other beings who are in relationship. <clears throat> it's not surprising that we would have learned a thing or two about love and what gets in the way. And remember, when we use the word love or metta or any of the particular flavors of maybe we could say spiritual love, we're really talking about this trustworthy quality. And really the essence of love is that inclusivity, like the heart. In fact, that's one of the images I have found so useful in the early Buddhist tradition for these qualities of the heart. It said that in the same way that water knows how to take the shape of whatever vessel you pour it into. So, you know, if you have a fancy vase that's in a strange shape, water doesn't have any problem filling that space. And that's the image or the simile that's used for <clears throat> the qualities of love. It's like that inclusive quality of wisdom and awareness that knows how to include that we call love. It's like whatever might happen in any moment of our life, when that aspect of love is there, we know how to show up, we know how to connect, we know how to include what we're experiencing in the moment. We're not surprised. We're not thinking, oh, I'll be loving when this changes. If it's really hard to bear, then we have compassion. If we still can't take it, then we have compassion for that not being able to take it, <laughs> right? We can have compassion for that. So love is really nimble in that way. And in order to be really nimble, we need to develop the quality of mudita because some of you know this, one of the hardest things for us to be loving and open with are when good things are happening to ourselves or to other people, right? And all of a sudden we feel like, you know, that our world is limited and if somebody's having a lot of success or a lot of happiness, that means I'm not going to be happy. Have you noticed that kind of stingy feeling when somebody around us, a friend, is having a lot of good stuff happening to them? So in any case, this is a time because we're all learning about the disadvantages of our heart when it's trapped with some flavor of fear or aversion. It may be totally justified, the fear and aversion, but honestly, when we look, it's not helpful even if it's justified. It's not helping ourselves and it's not helping others. And so the interesting spiritual question is, how can we plant seeds of love in any moment? And tonight, in particular, how can we plant seeds of this particular capacity to appreciate what's good? Yeah, and I'd appreciate hearing people share from their own learnings <clears throat> and edges 
around your learnings that you're noticing and of course any questions that are emerging including practical questions about the instructions I gave tonight or about the practice or any questions related even vaguely to this topic. Yeah, so what comes to mind? And people can just go ahead and unmute themselves. It's nice to introduce yourself with your first name and it's often useful to share your pronouns so that we're not going to accidentally misgender each other. Yeah, anybody feel like beginning? Yeah, no, that's really an important point. And it's it's not just around the loving-kindness practices, but it's really everything in spiritual life. It's like, as a, as a spiritual person, we need all kinds of instructions because sometimes our heart is in a really gross or dense place. So the way we're going to practice with our heart, the techniques or the strategies are going to be relatively gross to match. Like if I'm a desperate human being and I more of my desperate emotional and psychological qualities are getting triggered, then I need strategies that work at that level. But if my mind is in a very peaceful, refined, expansive place, then the strategies that work over here would be totally not helpful over there. And that's hard because, you know, what we do in a simplistic way is if a strategy works, we want to use it everywhere. <laughs> so one of the difficult things we learn in spiritual life is, no, this is the right tool for where my heart is at. Not this tool. I like that tool, but it's not really going to be helpful now. It's too heavy. It's too gross. What's a more refined tool that might be more useful in this moment? And that's one of the things you really we all want to learn. Even if we don't get to that place often, we want to know or have that skill of abiding. Where we're really, it's much more, you know that thing we did when we were teenagers where, you know, usually there was an adult telling us how to do this, but you'd stand and you'd fall back and there'd be like four people, your friends behind you, and they'd catch you. And the whole idea is you kind of develop trust and community, if you have <laughs> trustworthy friends. Well, it's a little bit like that with that, because that feeling of love is subtle when it's in this more refined state. And we really want to, it, it's an act of faith to drop the mental images, the memories and the phrases, and just to trust that this refined lightness of love is enough of a so-called meditation object, that I don't need the phrases or the memory. If I need it later, I can always bring it back in, but I'm going to just rest in that light, beautiful, refined expansion of love. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, your own learning around that, Junie. Other thoughts? What have you been learning? Mm hmm Yeah. But you know, it could be just working with compassion. But let's talk about it in terms of appreciative joy or mudita. Even when we're with a difficult person, what might naturally lend itself to the arising of appreciation? Like noticing, you know what? I really trust my heart not to act out being around this difficult person, right? That's a good thing, like that this heart knows how to avoid stepping in it, you know, or 
saying the wrong thing. May that goodness, may that clarity, may that strong motivation not to make a mess of this interaction, not to trigger this other person, let's say. May that goodness continue. May it increase. May it never end. Like that sila, like sila, some of you know that word, uh, that deep resonant commitment to not cause harm. And when we're, when we're around a difficult person, it's easy because we feel justified to sort of, they're shooting arrows at us, we feel justified shooting arrows back at them in our body language, in our words, even in what we don't say. And to sort of not take the bait and to really appreciate that capacity to not take the bait. Oh, that's wisdom. May that goodness of wisdom continue. May it increase. May it never end. So remember, we don't always, we can't always see something like what might be strongly obvious in looking at another being is their unskillfulness. And we may, it may not be possible to be really clear about something wholesome in them in certain moments because all of those wholesome qualities that they may have are just have retreated. <laughs> and what's at the forefront right now for this person or this other being are not their wholesome qualities. So why force it? Because we can see wholesome here. Or even aspects of nature can be appreciated, like some people mention, you know, the blueness of the sky, the shine of the sun. There's all kinds of ordinary things to appreciate the fact that folks built a road here and I have a place to park, you know. So this appreciation is really, uh, we, we want to have this faith that it's always possible to appreciate, just like it's always a possible to recognize the truth of suffering and to have compassion. And it's always possible to be friendly, and it's always possible to have this radiant balance. Wow, the world is some kind of mystery, and I know how to be intimate without even imagining I could ever comprehend it, right? That's, that's that radiance of compassion. And I liked what you said so much, Lucy, about the smile. I think that's just worth repeating because even the idea in my mind of smile can be a nice, like a wormhole to any of the four qualities of love. So play with both a physical smile, but even the idea of the face smiling can be supportive. And you can even imagine as if energetically the heart has a smile, that image of your heart, because there's something about the smile that is radiant. And so it's a useful, um, I don't know what I'd call it, Dharma technique, skillful means for these practices, the idea and the actual smile, even a very faint smile. And you'll see, sometimes it looks a little weird, but if you observe people sitting, Sometimes they'll have just a subtle smile, and you see these in some of the statues in Buddhism, the, like the Buddha will have a sublime, subtle smile. Because it's a, it's a meditation technique, especially if you go around life with a uh, frown, you know, then when you sit to create a counterweight to that tendency, because the body 
affects the mind in the same way the mind affects the body. So we can take advantage of that by shaping the body in a way that's supportive of what we're looking for in the mind. Thanks, Lucy, for sharing. Yeah, Christina. Yeah. No, that's really wise. And it's what you describe, Christine, is much more um, on the level of wisdom practice. Like when we do our Vipassana, our insight meditation, it is that kind of deconstruction. So if I'm being irritated by something, and then the habit of my mind is exactly what you said, you know, to sort of pathologize that person. They're bad. And they're irritating me. And then what wisdom practice is all about is to observe things just as they are, right? And so what we notice, it's not that that person's negative quality is coming and attacking me. It's my aversive or judgmental mind is attacking whatever quality that I'm hearing through sound or seeing through sight, right? And my mind is, in a way, attacking it. And that's really what aversion is or fear. It's our mind attacking something. And the question of whether someone's good or bad, that, you know, what, in a Buddhist sense, what makes something bad is the, the um, kinds of impressions that are being laid down in one's heart and in those hearts around me. So if I'm act, if I'm doing something, saying something, acting in some way, then the only way anybody could know is if somehow they were able to read what sort of impressions are getting laid down in my heart. Given that I said that or acted in that way, were those wholesome seeds leading towards a greater release or were they impressions that are leading to more contraction and stress? That's really the definition of what makes something wholesome or unwholesome, skillful or unskillful. So your point, and this is what every elementary teacher learns, you know, you don't say that's a bad student, right? Or a mother or father. That behavior, you know, when you do this, this is how how I experience that or how do you experience it, right? We really try to look at the particular experience and what it sets in motion as opposed to defining a person as difficult. But you do hear that because in one of the commentaries they talk about, you know, having, you know, having at the ready a person who, when you bring them to mind, very easy to love. But how about having a person, when you bring them to mind, evokes fear or aversion? Then they call that person, you know, the, the challenging or the difficult person. But it just means it's difficult for me to be loving to that person. And the idea and the practice is to start where it's easy, but to be able to work with even the people it's not easy with. Find a way to, to kind of expand the capacity of being friendly and loving so that there isn't anybody we can bump up against because we've worked on them with our imagination as well as, you know, in real time when we bump into them. But your points are, points are really good, Christina. Yeah, the thoughts people have. Yeah. And then, then, the, then the little edges might be when we see a spider, 
on our window. You know, and just like, because they're amazing too. They just happen to be on the inside instead of the outside, right? <laughs> say, say the phrase again that what you found really helpful from Thich Nhat Hanh. Another one from Thich Nhat Hanh is, uh, this is, this may be a little bit of a paraphrase, but it's something like, long live impermanence. You know, he was sort of, impermanence isn't bad, so he goes, long live impermanence. It makes everything possible. Right? There wouldn't be change any positive change without the truth of impermanence. Learnings in the arena of love and all of its flavors that have come to you that you'd like to share or questions that are emerging. Well, the, the, the feeling tone doesn't really determine wholesome or unwholesome, right? It's really how we're relating to the feeling tone that determines, because the feeling tone of our inner and outer experience, that's really nature. We don't, no one has anything to say like that somebody would be going through a time in their life where there would be a lot of inner unpleasantness or outer unpleasantness. That's due to so many causes and conditions that aren't really in the realm of practice. But what the mind, what the heart does with the, or we might have a lot of pleasantness in our outer world, like we're wealthy and we're beautiful and people love us, or we might have a lot of external unpleasantness. But in any case, what makes something wholesome or unwholesome really is about, given the way I'm relating, what sort of impressions are getting laid down in my mind stream. So I'm acting in a way, so what gets carried forward? Given that I'm acting or relating in a particular way, what gets carried forward? Seeds of being tight or seeds of releasing? And that's really what makes something wholesome or skillful, unwholesome or unskillful. Yeah, it's the, really about the quality of the intention or the quality of the motivation. Is that quality being colored by greed, hatred and delusion? Or is the quality being colored by kindness, compassion, wisdom, letting go. Yeah, no, good question. Any other uh, experiences of mudita, like avenues into that expansive quality of appreciation that you touched into tonight that you'd like to share? Yeah. And that's that feeling of it being impersonal. It's very beautiful and wholesome and impersonal at the same time. And and I don't know if people realize, but that four quarters chant that we do in the morning sits and sometimes uh, at other points, that's, those are the Buddha's words. So I think for me that's meaningful. Like there's some potency in those words and, and wisdom behind the choice and I think it's okay for us to do riffs because who knows about how it's actually supposed to be translated into English. So there is a little room for the creativity of how you, you know, modify that, that phrase, especially when you're using it in your own mind as a kind of um, instruction. But I'd, enc I'd encourage people to memorize the basic form of the Four Quarters chant and then put it into your own words using that basic structure for the reasons that Sandy just shared.
Yeah, Robert, I see your hand up. Yeah. And I don't know if people felt this, but, you know, when we give ourselves, like even as Robert was sharing that, you know, we just sort of relax into that way of perceiving or relating to this moment, to learn how to relate to the moment as a river, a changing, never stopping river. And what does that do to the heart? What kind of impression does it lead? Because so much of the violence and meanness in the world is when we're in those moments when we're operating from a fixed static point of view, because then stealing and oppressing and taking advantage, it can make a lot of sense because we have this permanent static sense of the world. But when things are seen in this changing nature, clinging, you know, just it just doesn't make sense. The roots of hate and greed don't make sense when we're aligning with the truth of change. That's why it's such a big deal, not just in Buddhism. It's just about more than anything about being real. You know, who are we when we're living in alignment with the truth of change? And who are we when we're living with this fixed idea of, you know, there's a me in some kind of permanent lasting sense? Now, I can justify all kinds of terrible things when I have that static sense of me, that permanent sense of me. Because then I'm afraid someone's going to take that permanent sense away. Right? Thank you, Robert. And nice to hear your voice there. I'd like to hear you really sing. <laughs> we need a common ground cho uh, chorus. Yeah. <laughs> we have a little time left. It'd be nice to hear from a few more folks. Yeah. That's a really wonderful example of that, the nature of expansion, because it, it really shifts the understanding where, like, part of abiding, and I uh, forget who it was, was really enjoying, uh, Sandy maybe talking about that word abiding, and or uh, Venerable Analio talks about instead of doing the loving kindness or doing the appreciative joy, being the appreciative joy. And it, it, it's exactly the, what you would describe, karma, is that change where nothing can be a problem because the love will love it. So I don't have to, like, fear versus love. I don't have to be afraid of fear because I'll love it. I'll care about it with compassion or something like that. And that's the thing, like when we're really in that more expanded, open space of love, then love doesn't have a, love knows what to do with everything. If it's painful, there's compassion. If it's beautiful, there's appreciative joy. If it's confusing, there's equanimity. Otherwise, there's just boundless friendliness goodness of heart. And the other thing that's important what Karma said, and I think Juni said it too, is just, it really is useful to, to recognize the felt sense in the body, right? Because that can really help the, the greater suffusion, like it's going everywhere. So 
that means it's touching everywhere in the body, everywhere in the world. I mean, we use that sense first and foremost, the body's going to feel affected by the presence of love. Maybe initially in the heart, maybe initially somewhere, but then just, we can't make it happen, but we can be curious about if it can, if everything can be touched, be affected by the love. Boundless. Yeah, thanks, Karma. Any last thought before we do our closing reflection? Well, let's just go ahead. And I thought we'd just come back to those words from the Buddha. And uh, we'll just go through it once. And then we'll just take maybe two minutes. And during those last two minutes, if there's a name of a friend that you just feel and recognize the goodness in their life. You know, you can just say that quality and maybe that person's first name. And it could be somebody that everybody knows, like a celebrity type person, or it might be just a personal friend or the name of your pet. It doesn't really matter. But we're just getting a sense of the vastness of the goodness. Okay? So like we did at the beginning, let's chant this together. second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above and below, around and everywhere, and to all as to myself, I will abide, pervading the all-encompassing world, with a mind imbued with gladness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. I will just take a couple minutes. Maybe I'll begin. Some of you know Shelley Graff, our wonderful associate, associate director at Common Ground. They graduated from their four-year teacher training program sponsored by Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts. It's a big deal and really grateful for Shelley's presence in our community and, yeah, and that they graduated just shining and appreciating all that goodness. And anybody else just want to bring somebody to mind, something to appreciate to mind? Could be your own quality. Let's just take here from several folks. May your goodness continue, increase, and never end. Who's next?
Yeah, she's an easy one. She's a good mudita subject. Michelle, may your goodness continue and increase and never end. <laughs> Who's next? Koda, may your goodness continue and increase and never end. Anybody else? Hmm. <laughs> Very sweet. May Irma's sister goodness continue and increase and never end. May your goodness continue and increase and never end. And how about all the goodness just being here together and Robert's resonant voice and that sweet song and it's just really great, simple but really great that we're here together. And so may all this goodness being here together, may it continue and increase and never end. And may the seeds of this goodness be the cause for happiness everywhere. May it be so. And so sweet to be with everybody tonight. Thanks so much. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.